Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for hopping on. Um, I just feel really grateful that you guys are taking time tonight to spend it with me and to spend it together and to um, talk about this topic, surrendering to the process. Uh, like I mentioned uh, before, it's a topic that I think comes up in a lot of our sessions. And I think it's really important that we just kind of talk about that elephant in the room. Uh, and we'll dig into that and, and what it means to surrender to the process and, and how it pertains to us balancing our hormones and, and balancing everything that we're trying to do in our lives, whether it's dealing with our own neuro neurodivergency, our chronic illnesses, how we manage stress, childhood trauma, all of it. So uh, it's it's a topic that I think is going to resonate with a lot of you. And I hope please to make sure um, you give feedback in the, the chat session. I'm gonna actually open up and have it ready to go. So I wanna start with a question and please share in the chat box. What is the most challenging aspect for you when it comes to the process of balancing hormones and accepting your illness? All right, so share in the chat box again, what is the most challenging for you when it comes to the process of balancing hormones and accepting your illness? So while you guys reflect on that, um, I kind of wanted to share my own challenges in being a client since 2018 um, to now being a coach, right? And, and to still be in the process of trying to balance my own hormones and my own challenges in life. So, uh, you know, when I was diagnosed in 2017, it was a little bit a year after having my daughter. And I, I knew there was always something going on. Um, but many of you know, we go to doctors and they're like, oh no, your labs are normal and everything looks good. I had gone through two colonoscopies. I had my thyroid checked and, you know, I just, they, they couldn't really figure it out. Um, and then after having my daughter, I think the stress of it just shocked my system. I was a first year teacher and I just, you know, my body just couldn't deal with it anymore. So I got diagnosed a little bit year after with ulcerative pancolitis, which is a, an intense form of, of ulcerative colitis where the inflammation is all the way from the rectum, all the way into the, the small intestine. Um, so that was a hard reality of getting a diagnosis that was incurable. I remember still being high off of the drugs and being wheeled into the recovery. And the doctor's like, yeah, you've got a colitis. Uh, here's a prescription for medication. I'll see you in six weeks. We'll talk about it then. Not the great bedside manner, as you can imagine. I'm still on drugs. So I'm on Dr. Google and like, what is colitis? I have no idea. I'm in my 20s. I have no idea what's going on. Right. Uh, and of course, it sounded like I was dying. And, um, you know, more and more things popped up because autoimmune illnesses tend to, to marry together. And it just it got more and more difficult to accept the fact that this idea that I had in my mind of how my life was going to turn out had to now completely take a 180. Right. And and I had to completely change the way I saw everything happening and the way I saw my body. Right. And as many of you I know, working with you or getting to know you or going through the program with you have the same challenges, too, where you almost go you go through those stages of grief and you go through this phase of of denial and then depression and then anger and it's it's this ebb and flow is high and low of having this diagnosis right and for some 
you've had it for a really long time, right? Michelle's been diagnosed since she was very, very young. You don't know anything else, right? Um, but for those of us who know what life was like before too, it's it's still, and, and nonetheless, it's difficult for everybody, right? Because you also start to see how other people are living their lives and you're like, well, why is it so difficult for me? Why do I have to watch everything I eat? Why do I have to think about how it's going to impact my hormones or, or impact my skin, or why am I growing hair in a place that I don't even know has hair? You know, like you, you go through those, those challenges in the diagnosis. Right. Um, so it was also hard for me because now doing, you know, going through the program myself and doing my own healing and my own balance, I've learned that I am a bit of a control freak. Um, so to my fellow control freaks, I, I, I'm very aware now, not then, but now that I am probably very much neurodivergent myself. I don't have a formal diagnosis, but, um, you know, I'm very confident that the struggles that I've had in my life and in my childhood was because, I went undiagnosed, uh, probably with OCD most of my life, right? And the obsession of planning and the obsession of knowing what to expect, it floored me getting a diagnosis where they're like, this is incurable, you know, you just try to manage it. In seven years, we'll start testing you for cancer. I was like, what are you, what? Like, this is not how the direction of my life was supposed to go, right? So, so that was hard. And as I continue, you know, so when I started the program in 2018, I was a newbie too. And I honestly was not the greatest client, whatever that means, right? I just remember feeling that way. I didn't always check in. And uh, I remember when Michelle asked me to be a coach, I was like, are you talking, you're talking to the right Evie? Like, is there another Evie you want to talk to? Because, you know, I, I didn't think I fit the mold. And now I realize that's how I've lived most of my life, right? I, I've had these unrealistic expectations of how things have to look. And, um, I remember getting through the program and I saw, I felt the progress happening. I saw myself starting to shift and change and my brain started to think differently, but I had such hard expectations of how I needed to look and act and produce. And, you know, it, it, I was upset that it wasn't happening to my standard on my timeline. Right. And that held me back back in a lot of ways. Um, so that's kind of the challenge that I've faced even up to this day. And, and we'll talk about how it's gotten easier, but knowing that, knowing now what I wish I would have known then, but of course I wouldn't have known it because then it wouldn't have been the process. I wish I would have experienced a little bit more of it versus holding myself to such a hard, real, unrealistic expectation. So so let me look here at the comments and, and see what you guys are sharing. And I'd love to see it. Uh, so the question being, what is the most challenging for you when it comes to the process of balancing hormones and accepting your illness? Consistency, because my life schedule is constantly changing. Yes. And that you're probably going to reflect a lot on that today when we talk about the fact that there is no end game. There is no finish line. Right? And when we first hear that, that can sound really discouraging. Because at first you're like, oh, I have to do this forever. I promise it doesn't always feel like a chore, but there really is no finish line. So yeah, your life schedule is going to constantly be changing. So consistency looks different every time, right? Being consistent, another one, staying consistent. I think I have highs and low lows. The yin and the yang of life. Consistency, feeling discouraged because my body doesn't function optimally like it once did. That is one of the hardest things. And if you haven't watched the Zoom I did 
I think it was last year on experiencing your illness through the stages of grief. I highly recommend you go back and watch that. I think it's, I know for sure it's on the Facebook page. Um, I don't know if we've uploaded on Spotify, yes, but we can definitely do that. I feel like there's so much unknown still. Yeah. It's like this place of purgatory. Can anyone relate to that? Like, you know, you're in the right direction and you know, you're taking the steps to get better, but my God, the feeling of not knowing where am I now? I relate it to what it must feel like when a caterpillar is in its cocoon. All right. Is that what it's called? But um, when it's in that phase of like, something's happening to me, I don't know what it is. It's dark. I'm scrunched up, right? I'm just trying to envision that. And knowing that like something's about to happen, but I have no idea what it is. And that uncomfortable feeling, almost like you plant a seed in the dirt. It doesn't realize it's going to grow into a flower. I don't think it does. It's just in dirt and it's in darkness and it's cold and it's scary. And it has to push through that process of growth to become what it's supposed to become, but it has no idea what it's going to become. Right. And, and that whole process is really, really freaking scary. Right. Um, if I have a craving, I'm going to eat the food, even if it doesn't fit my hormone-friendly diet. Exercise routines have never stuck with me either, right? There's so much to all of this, so many layers, which is why for so many of us, the diets don't work. The 10-week challenges at the gym don't work because our illnesses are not rooted in laziness or us not eating the right foods. Like, yeah, we've made choices around food. It's rooted in something much, much deeper, which is a whole nother conversation, right? And I'm sure Michelle's done plenty of Zooms on that, right? The binging Zoom that she uh, did, that was phenomenal that she talks about the patterns of binging and why we, we do that, right? It's so deeply rooted in other stuff. And when we're so focused on the results, we don't deal with that other stuff that you have to deal with in the process of it, right? Um, yeah, I mean, all of these are great points and please go into those comments and, and read them. Uh, yes, and the resentment towards others who don't have to worry about these things, right? Living the chicken tender lifestyle and getting called healthy, thin, having, right? So absolutely, it's, it's a hard reality we face, right? So I wanted to take time today. Um, this has been a topic that Michelle and I have even reflected on in my own coaching calls with her and in my business calls, right? Where, where we talk about the clients, how... So many of us get stuck in that purgatory of, but when do I come out on the other side? When is it over? When, when, when can I get to that point where I don't have to think about it anymore? And I want to kind of address the elephant in the room. We don't. We don't get to that point where we're not going to have to look at the food we eat or the way we manage stress it becomes less daunting and it becomes more of a lifestyle when you eat away at the process of implementing those baby steps, honoring where you are and how you feel through that process and starting to fall in love with it. I think that's really what's important y'all is we have to learn how to fall in love with the process and not the results. And that we're gonna dive into that, right? Um, I wanted to acknowledge what's most important, right? And evaluating why is it important to us? Are we getting into this because we have to be a certain size or we have to look a certain way or we have to pretend our brains aren't the way they function, right? 
Is that really the goal? Or is that what society's told us we need to believe? Right. Is the goal really that we want to be peace in our bodies? And we want to feel confident in our abilities to manage whatever comes our way. Right. And that's what today's topic is all about, is surrendering to the process. Right. Letting, letting go to it and loving it as we see it unfold. And as we learn about ourselves and all the nuances and all the layers. And, uh, you know, I, I, I remember having a client call and we were talking about this, the process, right? The, the part where the, the caterpillars in the cocoon and they don't know they're turning into a butterfly. And I kind of related it to, you know, I asked the client, when you want to plant a new garden and, you know, imagine your yard hasn't been taken care of for a long time and you want to plant a new seed or you want to plant a new flower, what's the first thing you have to do? Most people will be like, oh, it's common sense. You got to go take the weeds out. You got to turn the soil. You got to put fertilizer. You got, right. You got to make the environment fit what you're asking the seed to do, which is to grow. And I told her, well, that's what I'm asking you to do, right? I want you to implement those baby steps. I want you to make your environment internally and externally meet and match what we're asking you to do, which is to grow. The growth though, is not what we're focused, or the results of what the growth needs to look like is not what we're focusing on. We're focusing on the growth itself, the process of it, right? Yes, the flower is beautiful at the end, but my God, the amazingness of it going from a seed this small to something that we can now see and experience, that's what I think draws us to that part of nature, right? Or to that part of the process. Um, So let's talk about ways to help us surrender uh, to that process. Um, Looking back at my notes here. So for those of you who do know me, uh, you know that uh, during the day, I'm, I'm an education director. Um, I've been in, in child care now since t- uh, before my diagnosis, uh, 2014. Uh, so it's almost 10 years, and it's something I've, I've always loved, right? And I was very fortunate that one of my first experiences was to work in a child care center uh, nearby that... Uh, followed the Reggio Emilia approach. And if you're an art person or an education person, or just love to learn about different ways that we learn and grow, uh, Reggio Emilia is a town in Italy. And after World War II, they had this amazing idea to spend their money that they had left in education. What a concept, right? So they took all their money and they, you know, really focused on education. How do we take these children that just went through such a traumatic event and their children that are, you know, are going to come into this world, how do we help them grow to help our society, our economy and all of that, right? So they invested in education. Uh, They brought all the biggest experts, psychiatrists, child development specialists, you know, the whole, the whole works. And they spent years researching. And one of the things they found was the importance of process art. All right. And why process art or process activities in early childhood are so significantly important for how the brain develops. So process art is different from product art. Product art is what many of us are exposed to when we're children. 
Uh, product art is like, okay, guys, it's springtime and the flowers are blooming. We're going to make this cute little craft that looks like a flower, right? And the teacher comes in and she has pre-cut little papers for the leaves and the pre-cut paper for the stem. And she shows you this little model. All right, put this here, put that there, put that there. What a beautiful flower. And you write your name and everybody's flower looks the same. And, you know, if your name wasn't on it, I had no idea what the flower, who's, which flower was mine, right? That's product art. Uh, not knocking it, not saying there's anything significantly wrong with it, but what they've learned is that when you focus too heavily on the product, the emphasis on the process of getting to it is diminished, right? So what they found is, is the significance in process art. It's not like they're the only ones that knew this. This is well, you know, there's tons of professionals that know the importance of process art and process activities, but they were one of the big ones that kind of brought it to the forefront of education. So what they did instead is, you know, okay, it's springtime and the children are talking about spring. They're interested in spring. They're seeing the flowers blooming. They're seeing, you know, things happening. We're going to bring actual flowers into the classroom. We're going to talk about the colors we see. We're going to give them some brushes or some sponges or some finger paints. And we're going to let them enjoy the process of trying to replicate what they see, right? That's one aspect of it. Process art is also taking items and seeing what you can do with them instead of just creating something specific, okay? So you take some marbles, you throw them in a, you put a paper in a shoebox, you throw some paint and marbles in there, you roll the shoebox around, the marbles drag, and now you're seeing the track marks, right? You're not creating anything specific. You're not creating a landscape picture or an animal. You're just enjoying the process of what happens when I do this, what happens when I do that, right? One of the activities that I love doing with the kids is we would take ramps and we'd attach paper along the ramp. They'd dip their cars in paint and we'd start at the top and they'd roll down and they could see all the tire marks. They could see the directions that cars took based on the color that they dipped the tires in, right? That's process art. The benefits of putting yourself more in an environment where you can enjoy process art or process activities is because you're less focused on creating something. How many of you sharing the comments have often said to yourself, I'm not a creative person. I don't know, I, I, I have no creativity. I'm not someone that can be creative. I have no idea how to you know, take what you're asking me to do and make it into a visual form, right? We're all creative. What happens is as children, we're taught to think that we're not creative if we can't make something look like what the teacher needs it to look like. Okay, that's detrimental to children, right? It, it, it actually teaches them to focus heavily on the product. And when you're a neurodivergent child, who then becomes a neurodivergent adult, you're focused so heavily on the product looking perfect that you're killing yourself, forcing your brain to do what it doesn't naturally do because society or your classroom teacher or a parent told you it needs to look a certain way. It's why we're so hard on our bodies. Who wants to live in a world where everybody's skinny? Like, I don't. I love variety. Did I love it back then? No, but I never judged others as hard as I judged myself. I would never go out and be like, man, you're real fat. Like, what? No. Oh, wow. You you got to, you know, trim that unibrow there. Like, I wouldn't but me. Oh, absolutely. I'd be 100% hard on me because it didn't apply to anyone else but me. Now I know with understanding OCD. 
understanding what I went through as a kid, the society and the way it's instilled things on me, that I have to pull that off. We have to peel those layers back. Those thoughts in our heads are not our own. Do not own them anymore. Identify them as that's someone else. That's my mom saying those comments. That's that teacher saying those comments. That's society saying those comments. That's not me. And I'm no longer taking acceptance or accountability or ownership of it, right? When you put yourself in a state of process, you learn to just accept whatever comes your way, right? So one way to help you surrender to it is to do more process art. And I'm not kidding. I have given this baby step to some of my clients. And we talk about different things that they can do. If you're going to the retreat in San Diego, we're gonna, I am so excited because we're going to literally have an entire table where I'm going to set up different process art activities for y'all. Right. So you can put yourself in the state of the process more often. It is going to feel so uncomfortable at first because you're going to sit there and you'll be like, okay, but what am I making with this? Like, what am I? Nothing. Just do it. Just be present to the act of doing it. Take the brush and move it however you want. Play music if you want. Slap it on a wall and throw paint at it. I don't care but just enjoy the process of it. And then as you do the process, you start to realize all the different possibilities of what you can make, right? Putting yourself in that state more helps you when you're applying it in real life situations. That actually we have seen in the classroom. I've seen it with my own children. When they, when I expose them more to process art and process activities, they own up more in real life situations where they're like, oh my gosh, Miss Evie, I, I just shared with a friend and that was really hard to do, but I did it. Yes, you're actually seeing results and not physical form, but in how you're acting and how you're being, right? And we're gonna talk about how we need to take those non-scale wins and make them visible, right? We can't just focus on the size that we're wearing or the way we look to measure the progress we're making, okay? Number two, so number one being put yourself in a state of more process by just doing even process art. Number two, journal the good and the bad. A couple months ago, I was going through uh, some of my old stuff from high school. So man, I'm in my thirties now. I'm like, oh my Lord, this is, this is scary, right? When you go in and look back and you're like, wow, I, I, this was me, right? And it was my journal from my junior year of high school all the way up to my senior year of college. I used to write a lot and I miss it at times and I, I got to get back to it, right? I, I journaled a lot at the beginning of, of my program in CCA and I'm so glad I did uh, because even one of the blogs I wrote about, I uh, went back to Reddit and rewrote my perspective now journaling is how you take those non-scale wins and make them visible. What a way to show the process. When I looked back at that journal, I wasn't diagnosed back then with colitis. I was severely depressed, though I was hiding it because I was so product driven. I, everybody was like, oh, Evie, you're such a hard worker. You're doing so much. You're so great. Blah, 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 blah. And I was miserable in my body and in my mind. I couldn't get out of my head. OCD, right? But when I looked back at it, I was skinny. I wasn't diagnosed. But I was more unhappy then than I am now. So the weight actually doesn't matter. It never did. And that was 
an interesting thing to realize, right? When you look back at the journal, you're like, man, that's how I was thinking. And, and that's where my head was. And look at where I'm at now, how much more confident I feel in myself, right? When you journal the good and the bad, you have to journal the bad days. Because then you look back at them and you realize that the bad days still happen, but your mind is in a different place. You don't go into such a dark hole. You climb out of it a little bit faster. You manage it differently, right? So journaling is one way to take those wins that you can't visibly see in a photograph or in the pant size that you're wearing, but you see the growth internally, right? And Michelle has said this, and I will, I always say it to my clients, when you focus on the goal being to feel good and to heal, your external environment will start to match it. I have always, 100% of the time, lost weight when I wasn't trying to lose the weight. Two weeks ago, I uh, my, tried on a pair of pants. I didn't realize I dropped a size. I'm not trying to actively lose the weight, guys. I'm just trying to feel good and balance my hormones. Naturally, my body starts to reflect my internal environment, right? Journaling has helped me also show that process too, right? Because it takes what's going on in here and puts it down on paper. Okay. So that's a big piece there. Number three, be present to what you're feeling, the good and the bad. Don't rush through it. Don't force yourself out of it. Don't experience the good and be like, oh, I wonder how long this is going to last for. How many of us have done that? How many of us have had a good day and you're like, mm, this is too good to be true. The shoes is about to drop. Tomorrow's going to be a crap day. And so what if it is? Does it make today any less important that you had it? And if tomorrow's a crap day, doesn't it make the good days that much more significant? And what can we learn from those days? So I wanted to share uh, an example. There's a, a book by the author Mitch Album. Okay, Mitch Alvin is one of my favorite authors. He wrote The Five People You Mean in Heaven. He wrote a book called Tuesdays with Maury. And in the book Tuesdays with Maury, Mitch Album is interviewing an old professor that he really loved and admired when he was in college. And he's now, you know, dying. He's on his last days. And he's kind of writing like a, his experience in life and what he's learned at this old age that he's gotten to and, and what he's learned. So the... May, the professor was sharing that when he first got into, I think it was psychiatry, if I'm not mistaken, there was a hospital he went to visit. And there was a patient there that he, when he walked in, I remember reading this scene and my brain is, is not working fully right now, but uh, he saw this person lying on the floor and, and he asked one of the people that worked there, like, why, why is this person lying on the floor? And the guy tells him, oh, you know, that's so-and-so. She does that every time. You know, we've tried to help her get up or get her to her room. She doesn't want us to. So we kind of just let her be. She's fine. She's not going to bother anybody. And it really ticked at him and bothered him. Like, why? And, and no, it's not bothering anybody that this person's just lying on the floor. So he's talking to the author and he said one day he decided to just lie down next to her. He didn't say a word. Didn't say, hey, get up. Let's get you back to your room. Why are you on the floor? This doesn't make sense. He just laid next to her, breathed next to her, was present. The next day, the person wasn't on the floor. 
And when he was telling this story, he related it to the fact that sometimes we don't need to solve the problem. We just need to acknowledge its presence, right? Sometimes we don't need to rush ourselves out of those feelings. We just need to feel those feelings. Because when you actually feel what you need to feel, you come out of it faster. That person's not on the floor anymore because you acknowledge the presence. How many of us prolong our suffering because we're refusing to just feel what we need to feel? And I'm not saying have a pity party 24-7, but there are going to be days where you have to have a little bit of a pity party. Feel what you got to feel, get frustrated, get through it, let it out, and now get up and move. Be that person that was on the floor, get up, I've acknowledged it, I'm getting up and I'm moving. That's all sometimes we need is that acknowledgement of how we're feeling. That's the process. When you're fully present to the good and the bad, the yin and the yang, the ebbs and the flows of life, things move fast, move differently. Okay. Somebody's mentioning, sounds like the Barbie movie, if anyone has seen it. So I'm here, honestly, guys, I loved playing with Barbies growing up, loved Barbies. And, And my husband was like, why didn't you go see Barbie? I'm like, I don't what is it going to be about? I feel like it's going to embody everything that like, I don't stand for now, like stick figures, but everybody's been saying it's totally not that. So I I guess I have to go see it. I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but I'll have to go check it out. So, um, so yeah, being present, right. Be present to what you need to feel. Uh, the last thing I wrote here is evaluate your expectations. So many of us, struggle in this for so long because we have this idea in our mind of how things need to turn out, how our life needs to unfold. Who's to say that's the only way it has to happen? And I'm speaking from, I'm telling you that while literally inside my head, which I know is my OCD ticking, like you, you're you're BSing. What are you talking about? Of course, we need to know how things are going to go. That's OCD. We need, we need to know. It's why we do certain things a certain way, because we need to control things, right? It's gotten better when I'm able to identify that that's not actually me. That's something I'm learning to live with, okay? Evaluate your expectations. Why is it important to be a certain size? Why is it important to look a certain way? Why is it important to produce, right, certain goals, to be a worker, be, to to constantly be busy doing stuff? Why does that matter, right? What is the importance of that? Share that in the comments, right? Share, Share in the comments. Why is it so important to have those expectations? Let me see who's going to share some stuff. So I think we are wanting to be accepted, not justifying it, but I think that's why valid. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be accepted. There's nothing wrong with that. Who has to accept you first, though? Who has to love you first? When you start to focus on you being your biggest cheerleader and your biggest supporter, you're going to attract people in your life that are going to also do that for you. I know a lot of my feelings are conditioning from childhood. This is why I love child development. It's why I've studied it for years. 
right? And I, I, I get to see now the two sides of it, right? The side of working with you guys on all the stuff you went through as kids and how it's molded you and, and, and made you into who you are and go back to school and say, okay, this is what we need to focus on with these children. So hopefully they don't maybe struggle in that way. Right. And no, we can't fix everything. We can't solve everything. Right. That's my OCD wanting to do it. But we have a chance to at least point them in the direction where they feel a a little more comfortable in their skin. Right. Our childhoods matter. It's so important. And when we start to reparent ourselves and realize that the person we were hoping to save us as children is now us having to save ourselves, we start to navigate life a little differently. Nobody's going to do that for us. We have to do that for ourselves. We don't have to do it alone. That's why you have your coaches. That's why you have this community. But at the end of the day, the analogy I often use, the visualization I often use is if somebody's lying on the floor, imagine they're lying on the floor staring up at you, right? And you're like, come on, get up. I can help you up. If they don't put pressure on their feet, you're just using your own stress and and force to have to lift them up. You're going to exert yourself too much, right? You you can't force someone else to do the, the work and you can't expect someone else to do it for you. You have to put the weight on your feet. You have to get yourself up off that floor, not by yourself, but you've got to do the work. That's where it is feels so daunting. There is no timeline to this because you, you start your baby steps and you get consistent with them and bam, something happens. Change of a job, change of a schedule. Your team of five has gone down to a team of two. You're managing more at work. You are struggling with a, a relationship. You've got more health challenges popping up. Life never stops throwing curveballs at you. It's not going to be like, oh, you know what? Let me stop real quick. You go figure that out. I'll ho- I'm going to hold these ones back. No, <laughs> it doesn't care. It's just like, here you go, right? Let's figure it out, right? So the goal really is not to necessarily learn how to do it all. It's to feel confident enough that you're going to figure it out as you go, because that's the process. You've done it before and you'll do it again, right? How is this sounding so far? Let me hear in the comments what's resonating. Talk to me too. If you're having some really difficult emotions and thoughts come up when you're hearing this, what is percolating in those minds of yours? Let me hear it in the comments. And then we're going to finish off kind of with a a quick little um, piece about, you know, how we continue to grow. So let's see here. Right. We talked about, yeah, I know a lot of my feelings are conditioning from childhood, right? How significant that is and how when we start to look back at our childhood and what happened and we understand that those children are no, it's not like they've gone away. They're still within us and they still need that nurture and love that maybe wasn't provided or shown in a certain way. We need to do that for ourselves, right? Um. So the reality that there is no finish line, how do we surrender to the process? When you finally come to terms with the fact that there is no finish line, that there is no point where you're going to be like, I did the work, my body's healed, I can just go about my life and 
do what I need to do and not consciously think about this, right? It's not happening with or without a chronic illness, right? So I say that even to people that I know that don't have chronic illnesses. Like I've spoken to my staff at work and have said, you guys do know, like the learning never stops. It's not like you go to college, you get your degree, you've learned about child development and now you just implement it, right? There's no more learning. There's no more figuring out how to make things work. It is constantly happening. That is what life is, right? What's, what is the finish line? What are we rushing towards? Our deathbeds? Like, wh- what, is, what is it that we're trying to obtain? And I'm not judging you for having those goals. I've had them. I still have those days. I am in no way sitting here and saying I don't have them. What I'm telling you is that it gets easier as you start to allow yourself to have those days, live in them, and then get up off the floor, acknowledge it and get up off that floor and, and keep moving forward, right? Reach out to your coaches, reach out to the community, ask them for support, ask them for a listening ear. You know, I just need to be present to what I'm feeling today. I'm frustrated today. I'm angry today. I'm bitter today. I'm hopeful today. I'm grateful, right? Whatever it is, honor it and feel it fully so that you can begin to absorb the process of it all because we're constantly growing and evolving, right? The curveballs don't stop coming at us. So when you understand that because we're always growing and evolving and our life circumstances can change, we're always having to adapt to something new. We're always changing the sails on the boat, right? We're just changing the course of the direction, but the sailor still has confidence in their ability to manage the boat. Even if there's rough waters, we know we can manage the boat, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be a sailor, right? No, silly me. I always have to have a visualization. <laughs> um, one thing I wrote here when I was finalizing my notes was, no one goes to their grave with the pants they starve themselves to fit into. We're not going to die thinking, damn, I never became a size four. <laughs> or damn, I really wish I would have finished that project at work today. Maybe they would have thought of me a little bit differently. Not, we're not going to go to our grave with that. Wherever we are, when that day comes, we're going to sit there and remember the experiences we had the memories we made, the moments we experienced things or we didn't experience things, right? We might regret things because we held ourselves back because of the way we looked in a dress or the way our hair looked that day or the acne in our face or the fact that we're so self-conscious that the fact that, you know, we pick our fingers or that I have to fidget constantly and why can't I just think normal, right? We're not going to be that. We're not going to have those thoughts when it is the end game. We're going to think about what we did and didn't do. The experiences we had, right? We didn't come into this world. We weren't birthed coming out saying, I'm going to strive to be skinny or I'm going to strive to be this, right? We were children literally experiencing everything. We grab, we pull, we push, we taste, we smell, we touch. That's what children do. The difference or the the goal here, what I'm trying to convey as my brain starts to go kaput, um, is that 
that should never stop. Why is it that as children, we are so in tune to experiencing it and questioning it and wondering and exploring? And then someday we become adults and all we think we need to do is get up, do something, be busy, go to sleep, do it all over again and be a certain size in the middle of it all and make sure you don't you know, eat that or do this or why? Why can we be children and cry and melt down and we expect ourselves not to do that as adults? Now, granted, yeah, maybe not as favorable as adults, but we still have meltdowns as adults. I've had that conversation with clients, right? It just looks differently. But have it. Experience it. Live it, right? You have to go through those experiences. Spend more time doing the things you love to do. If you feel like you don't have the time to do it, reach out to your coach. Let's strategize. Let's find ways, even if it's two minutes. If you love to be outside in the sun, go get that vitamin D. If you love to color, if you were a kid and you loved slime and you loved sensory stuff and you loved it, bring it back. Bring back all of the stuff that made you feel so connected to experiencing it. Bring that process art. Do that more often. We're a bunch of children in adult bodies pretending we know what we're doing. Many of us now have just accepted we don't know what we're doing, right? So experience all of it so that you can start to embody the fact that the process is what it's all about. Yes, the flower is pretty at the end, but that growth, watching that happen, seeing the possibilities is what's really important. It's not getting to a size two. It's realizing that what actually mattered most was helping our internal environment match what we wanted our external environment to look and feel like. So big topic there. I'd love to hear if there's any comments or things that resonated with you guys. And then we're going to wrap up. What's your biggest takeaway? Share in the comments there about the process. And please know that in no way do I think you guys are going to come off of here tonight and be like, yeah, process, let's go do this, right? Some of you might go to bed tonight and be like, I don't know what the hell she's talking about, right? Like, I get it. But there, right, there is no finish line. And feel that. When I finally accepted it, I went through stages where I was angry because my OCD needed a finish line. I needed to control something. The only thing now I know I can control is how I react to the situation. But there's actually nothing else I have control over, right? Focus on feeling good and not getting a certain result. Yeah, right? There's no, there, there is no right way of doing things, right? Find what's right for you. And in order to do that, you have to surrender to the process of doing it, right? So awesome. I have loved sharing this time with all of you. I hope I get to do more of these Zooms. Um, I think it's something that, you know, when we talk about the mindset stuff, I love it so much. So I appreciate you guys spending the time. Uh, another comment here, I struggle with this in every aspect of my life. And this gave me some good strategies to work towards letting go. Oh, letting go. Right. What's that Frozen song? I should know it by now. My daughter sang it for like two years straight. But uh, yeah, the process of letting go and letting be. Right. How important that is. 
you know, be that little seedling that's just going through the process, right? Let it go, let it go. So awesome. Thank you all so, so much. Um, I appreciate you spending your evening with me. Uh, if you're coming back to listen to the recording, I hope this resonated. Send me your biggest takeaways. Don't hesitate to reach out. You guys have me on the Facebook page. You have my WhatsApp. Uh, we are always here to support you. Uh, there is never a wrong time to ask for help. That is the bravest thing you can do is ask for help. Thank you all. Have a great night. We'll talk soon.